Hello and welcome to the VJ Himong podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we will be discussing measurable residual disease assessment in acute myeloid leukemia. Our speakers discuss both molecular and full cytometry approaches, as well as methodology harmonization and risk stratification. Chairing this discussion is Marian Tsukleve of University Hospital Munich. She is joined by Sylvie Freeman of University of Birmingham and George Sierra of Hospital de la Santa Creu in São Paulo. Hello, my name is Marian Tsukleve. I'm from the University Hospital in Munich, where I'm heading the MRD program in AML, and I'm joined um, by George Sierra from Barcelona and Sylvie Freeman from Birmingham. And we're just gonna sum up um, some of the very interesting discussion we had um, in the last session on MRD assessment in AML. So maybe we start um, with a short summary on the data that you presented from the Spanish group. Well, I, I presented the, the evolution of our risk adapt therapy in consecutive uh, protocols of intensive, uh, intensively treated patients. And uh, this is a quite long story, already almost 30 years, and, but with a, a better knowledge of the, of the pathophysiology of the disease and, and also with the new methods uh, to assess uh, the MRD, we have been able to um, uh, adapt the therapy uh, more precisely and at this moment we are uh, doing uh, MRD by um, several methods. Uh, we do uh, PCR for uh, CBF a AML and for uh, also for um, uh, MPN1. Uh, and, and also we uh, are doing flow cytometry. There is a large tradition of uh, MRD studies by flow uh, uh, the, because the first studies here in Spain made by the group of Salamanca were already published uh, early in 2000. And uh, we have followed that. And, uh, and, uh, and now we, uh, we are also uh, studying the expression of VT1. With all of that, we have uh, uh, defined three groups categories based on uh, uh, molecular uh, characteristics and MRD and uh, uh, with different prognosis and we have been adapted the post-remission therapy based on, on that. Right, before we go further, maybe we, you also introduce maybe some of the results that uh, were um, obtained with MSC. Yes, yeah, so, so we've had a, um, a dual approach, um, like Holly's saying as well, using molecular um, and flow cytometry approaches. Um, and there's, both approaches have been very informative. Um, and what I talked about was our UK experience. Um, so data um, by David Grimwade and Adam Ivey um, showed that for the MPM1 um, mutated patients, which is a very specific subgroup, that um, measurement of mutant transcripts in the blood um, after induction is highly prognostic. Um, but there's still a, um, what we would call a false negative rate. So, so some of the MRD negative patients will relapse, um, only about sort of 20, 20, 30% at the maximum. 
Um, and the way of actually reducing these false negatives is to take um, sequential me measurements. So um, this, this we continue to do. We sequentially measure p um, patients with um, MPM1 as well as the core binding factor AMLs by RTQPCR. So that was number one. And then the other approach that we use with, with flow cytometry, we, we can look at, across the genetic subtypes and we can, we can look a little bit more about the context of what the genetic subtypes gives to the interpretation of MRD positivity and MRD negativity. So to make the, um, the use of MRD as a prognostic tool um, more, more accurate. Um, and, and I think the other finding that's um, come out quite recently, which builds up on um, pediatric data, looking um, pediatric marrows and using flow cytometry as MRD, is that if you look at patients who are classified as refractory, a portion of those are MRD negative by flow. And in fact, these patients do as well as patients who are in CR and MRD negative. Um, and we've shown similar results um, in adults after first induction that up to 30% of patients um, in two separate trial cohorts from the HOVON and from the UK are classified as refractory and therefore um, are you know, likely to have intensified treatment if not transplant. But actually these patients should, should be classified as, as MRD negative, not refractory. Right, so before we maybe go into risk-adapted therapy and how uh, we stratify, what are the problems of stratifying MRD-based therapy, I just want to shortly address methods and technology. I think um, also you two are sort of representatives of standardization and more harmonization approaches. I just uh, like you to comment on the strategies you are following. And I just, as introduction, uh, would say at our center, we are also following harmonization on the flow-based um, MID assay. I still think there's a huge heterogeneity in the different trials that make comparison difficult. And I also think that um, it's really difficult to have risk-relified therapy on a measurement that is still um, not validated um, in a lot of trials in a prospective way. So I, at our center, we clearly Propagate, and uh, we could show that you should at least uh, integrate two measurements before risk stratification. At least that's what we propose, and we could show by flow cytometry that there is a certain percentage of patients that if you do two measurements close, so we do a very early time point, a time point of aplasia, and post-induction that you have patients that are MID positive at both time points or only at one time point and clearly the worst prognostic group are the patients who are positive at both time points whereas if you're negative at both time points they are clearly have a favorable outcome and then you have the intermediate um, and also we all think that as you already mentioned cytomorphology is a difficult topic and can be misleading. And we could also show that flow is a better discriminator on what kind of blast you are actually looking at through the microscope. So I think it's just the difficulty of cytomorphology to discriminate, particularly early after um, chemotherapy, what kind of blast you actually um, are looking at. So these are sort of two findings we identified in Munich. Um, and so I would like to have your comment on, on methods and technology um, at, at, in Spain, I would say, or? I, I fully agree on what you mentioned, that uh, MRD assessment 
uh, is different depending on who is doing that. Particularly, this applies to flow cytometry. And, uh, and then uh, I think that the combined approach is a good idea. Also, so uh, doing in parallel, uh, whenever possible, uh, PCR and flow. Uh, also, eventually, in our hands, as we uh, have experienced also BT1 expression and MRD by flow, this is another possibility. Also, what you mentioned of the two uh, uh, determinations close in time to the define what is uh, in the border, I would say positive, negative, uh, or negative, positive versus consistent results. That's also very important. And, uh, and I think that really we need more more easy algorithms uh, and, uh, and automated uh, systems for interpreting uh, flow cytometry. We, we, it is too subjective and we, we need automatic systems that make uh, gating and all the studies uh, uh, in, uh, in the same way. Uh, because on the other hand, uh, uh, to do centralized studies is not so easy. Uh, uh, regarding MRD. It may be, it may happen in very uh, well-organized cooperative groups, but it's hard uh, to get that uh, academic institution with a tradition on doing MRD studies refer their samples to another uh, academic institution. Uh, and, and they tend, at least in our country, they tend to uh, to um, to do the analysis at, the, at their own institution. So uh, the, the trial presented, it, uh, flow cytometry was not centralized. Uh, uh, PCR was centralized, but uh, MRD uh, by flow were uh, performed in a, in a reduced number of uh, institutions with the most experience. And there is the possibility of some, of some uh, 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 heterogeneity of subjectivity. I think that uh, there, there has been a very good step uh, forward that has been uh, the, the work done in the publication of the ELN uh, guidelines for MRD assessment. This is a very important uh, step forward. Uh, there are also recommendations from Euroflow. And uh, I think that uh, uh, still there is a bit of lack of uh, more definition on how, how to do it uh, homogeneously. But uh, for sure, mm, uh, the, the, the issue is still open. Yes, I completely agree. And I think the ELN is contributing enormously. Hopefully, there's going to be another publication where we're going to advise in a more concrete way how to uh, assess MRD flow, which is particularly subjective. We in Germany actually have now our first round robin essay. And um, interestingly, a lot of labs um, said they wanted to participate. Then actually the first round robin was only done with 12 labs. But it indicates there were over 50 labs who wanted to participate, that there's a clear interest. A lot of people are doing it, which is somehow dangerous. Um, because they also send out reports, they are not validated. And even if it says under the report it's not validated or something, uh, the treating physicians might uh, take conclusions from this.
this. So I think it's also somehow dangerous and it clearly needs to be validated. Yes, yes. so I mean, I completely agree that when you're opening up the assay to a wider number of labs, that having at least a, um, a standardized protocol that they can follow and possibly access to a second check of analysis by a centralized is important. Actually, what surprised me, just being a little bit provocative here, but going the other way, what surprised me when we compared our two cohorts, trial cohorts from the HOVON and from the MRC with these, these refractory patients, we were doing different MRD assays, you know, the trial cohorts were different, but the survivals were almost identical and the instance relapse was almost identical. So I, th I think the lesson in that is if, you, if, if, if it's done well, even though the methods and they may not be exactly the same, we're getting the same results. But what happens is when it's done less well, which I think your point about the WTT1, yeah, um, you know, that's an, uh, another assay which is probably better than poorly done flow cytometry. Um, but, you know, we, it, I think, you know, Marion, you've done some really um, good work with the, in, you know, in Germany of harmonizing, and you're showing that it is, it, it is possible with a greater number of labs. Um, and you, you, probably done the same as well, that you can um, standardize. But I think if it's done well, then actually results are very, very similar and comparable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think then the next step clearly is going to be an unsupervised um, analysis. Uh, step by step, hopefully we're moving into that direction. So maybe the next uh, or second round of discussion could be on the risk stratified um, therapy. We are still very conservative in Germany and um, currently um, have no trial running that is based um, in a larger randomized fashion based on MRD as we're still sort of struggling in harmonization um, of the MRD assessment. So you both are more advanced, maybe um, you can comment on this. Well, uh, yes, really, we, we uh, combine both uh, the, the molecular characterization and, uh, and the MRD. We, we had previous experience in our uh, trial of, uh, from 2003 uh, that MRD by flow uh, was uh, basically discriminant. So this is why, uh, uh, and that there were some patients in the favorable genetic groups uh, uh, that uh, had MRD positivity and that uh, they did poorly. So uh, this is why we have tried to uh, combine uh, the two methods. Uh, well, uh, in one hand it's logical, but uh, the, the stratification we did was based on our previous results in non-randomized trials. So it was, I would say, quite a bit arbitrary, the, the categories we, we decided to. But uh, particularly for the favorable uh, group that with uh, uh, favorable genetics and, uh, and MRD negativity, the results are really outstanding. So at least in that population, the combination of the two uh, methods uh, allows to identify practically 40% of AML patients who have very good outcome and do not need a transplant in first year. So I, I think that is an important finding. Yes, so I think... Yes, yeah, so, so the UK, we have a, 
Um, so we are using MRD for risk stratification, but in an agnostic way. So the questions we've been asking so far of, you have an MRD result, does treatment actually, you know, different types of treatment make a difference? So, so not presuming that intensification is the answer. Um, you know, we don't know. So th those results will, will come out over the, the next few years. So I think we, we know that MRD is important. We don't know how, how best to, to treat it from our point of view. To sum up, I think what we've talked about um, is that despite the Brexit discussions, I think Europe is growing together and this is going to be really constructive and helpful and uh, clearly also the states. So it's going to be uh, harmonization um, in the MRD diagnostics and exchange of data. I think that we are really moving into that direction and uh, a lot of effort is put in there. So we'll have a basis um, that we can also compare trial results and, and MRD stratified uh, trial results. And then I think second for the risk stratified therapy, clearly um, it's going to be really interesting what comes out of the um, randomized trials um, you conducted in the UK. Um, see how we actually can change the course of the disease by MRD stratified yeah, and, therapy. And, and, and we'll see the new therapies coming out, so immunotherapy and everything will we'll, you know, we'll, we'll change that and that's going to be... Yeah, and I, I think there is other questions like how you can use MRD as a surrogate endpoint for clinical trials, which is still a difficult issue because we can't use it as a surrogate of a surrogate. So it has to be a surrogate of overall survival, which is a difficult um, endpoint. But I think we first have to do methods and technology completely harmonized standardized uh, with round-robin essays for the comparison between the clinical trials and clinical study groups. See what is coming out, out of clinical trials that are currently recruiting patients where we have a risk-based, MRD-based uh, treatment algorithms. And then the, I think, interesting part will be if we can sort of put in a box for the MRD positive ones and have novel treatment options, see if they can first of all do MRD reversal and if that actually is going to translate into a better relapse-free or overall survival or if we are still just identifying patients who have a worse biology of the disease, this is still somehow unanswered and, and clearly probably there's also not one answer because it's going to be maybe different for different types of disease, different uh, interventions. So, you know, it could be possibly that for one, it's not a predictor and for other ones, um, you won't change the course of the, for example, P53 seems to be something that's going to be a real challenge, yeah. right? So I, I mean, I, I completely agree. And, you know, you, you've done this in a way by your genetic stratification, but we just need to take all, all the added information together and that's going to refine mm -hmm. things and, and help us detect signals for what actually works best in smaller subgroups. So you, you get the final words of well, the round? Well, I, I, I fully agree. Uh, I think that uh, um, uh, all the studies that have been performed tell us that MRD persistence is uh, bad news and that even therapies like uh, uh, allogenic transplantation with all the intensity and all the immune-mediated effect of GBL is affected by the fact that there is MRD before the transplant. So it's, it's really, a, I think, a very strong marker of, of poor outcome, but we have to delineate a bit more on how to measure that and, and how to address uh, the situation. 
We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHimong and share your views on the discussion with us. Visit VJHimong.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves. Be sure to subscribe to the VJHimong podcast, which is now available on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We look forward to you joining us for the next one.